Hello and welcome to episode 196 of Three Beers a Movie. I'm Richard Laird and I'm with... Barry Neal. Barry, we're once again doing this by Zoom. Scotland has opened up. We're allowed to go and sit in bars and pubs and everything, but we're not going to. What is that on your Zoom screen? I'm shocked by that. <laughs> Barry has... If you imagine like a news broadcast, Barry has got his name now below him. What does it say? And what's the picture of as well? It's just a woman holding two beers. I'm going to say it's like it's a very chesty lady holding two beers, so well done to you. <laughs> Barry's got a new toy, apparently. Um, yeah, so <laughs> we could go places. We're not going to go places. Um, so we're just doing this by your Zoom. Um, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. How's yourself? I'm good. I'm good. Um, feeling, enjoying life's little bits of freedom just now. So um, it's nice to be able, nice to, be able to do this. And hopefully soon we'll be doing it face-to-face again. Um, we did have a chance to do it face-to-face, obviously. We didn't do that. So we have to make sure we take advantage of that um, next time. Um, but are you drinking anything of interest tonight? No, no, just juice and I've got a bottle of water here. Nothing terribly exciting. It's, uh, it's still quite early days for me, so. Yeah. As you're literally probably just waking up. This is literally your breakfast time, whereas the rest of the world has been up for a fair whack of time. Um, I am on an interesting one. I'm on because, as you may know from the Twitter feed, it is our fearless leader, um, Mr. Mackay's um, 50th birthday on Monday. Yeah. Um, so... Hopefully come, I hope they come on, but he didn't come on. But in his honour, I'm drinking Mexican beer because um, Colin loves Mexican beer. Uh, and it's called Mariachi from Two Tribes who are based in London, but it's done in the Mexican stylings, apparently. So Mariachi from Two Tribes. Very nice, very crisp, quite dry tasting, um, but nice, very nice beer. Refreshing for a Sunday for, for, a, for a podcast recording. Um, yeah. So we will say happy birthday, Colin. We hope Colin is back on the podcast soon. He's a very quiet man when it comes to this, this, the the COVID life. He's not he's not one for getting on the on the Zoom call, which makes me more think Paul might be a vampire that we wouldn't see him on the Zoom call, which is why he won't go on. That, that's that's my only rationale to this is that Colin can't appear on Zoom. Um, but yeah, so movie news. You have teased me off air that you've got some amazing story for um, movie news. What have you got? Well, that story a couple of days ago. And as we know, the very reputable website Rotten Tomatoes has a rating system. I know this story and I'm very happy with this story. Yeah. Go, continue. Yeah. Well, since the dawn of time, Citizen Kane has been number one for as long as anyone can remember, followed closely by a second place Paddington 2. Well, the internet done what the internet does best and done some research. Yep. And discovered there's one bad review for Citizen Kane from like it's not even a bad review of Citizen Kane, it's just like a slightly it's from like 1940 and it's a slightly yeah. less glowing review of it. It's not like it's yeah, just, yeah. It just it's enough to knock its average down by like one percent, which is all it needed to do. So now Citizen Kane is now like second with 99% rating and Paddington 2 with an absolute Paddington. Yeah, Paddington 2 with a sterling 100% rating. I mean, so Paddington 2 is now the greatest movie ever done. <laughs> and honestly, this is not the podcast where you're going to find any argument regarding that. Um, I love Citizen Kane. I love Paddington 2. If I was to have to sit down and watch a film at any point, I would probably sit down and watch Paddington 2 over Citizen Kane again, to be honest. And I, and I do generally love Citizen Kane. But for pure joy, Paddington 2 is the superior film. There's, there's not, not even a question about this anymore. Um, mm. So yeah, it's a nice little sort of twig of um, sort of 
you know, statistics and things like that and how they all work and how they all sort of amalgamate. Um, I don't tend to listen to what Rotten Tomatoes say because I think a lot of their figures are very much skewed. Um, yeah. So I'm not overly impressed by by them, but it's nice to have the news and sort of that we kind of tidbit all the fact that Paddington 2 is a higher rated film than Citizen Kane. Both are fantastic, both are brilliant films. There's, there's no question about that. But Paddington 2 is, as we've spoken about at length on this podcast, a film we both absolutely adore and love and have loved almost from the moment we saw it. Um, yeah. Have you ever seen Citizen Kane of interest? Have you ever watched it? No, I've never watched it. It's on BBC iPlayer. Have we look and watch it? Um, Citizen Kane is excellent. It, there's no, it's a brilliant movie. It's a fantastic film. What you will notice when you watch it, though, you will recognise so much of it because of The Simpsons. The Simpsons has ripped off Citizen Kane so much. Like, oh, absolutely. Okay. You can almost put, I think someone actually did, you could put together almost an entire Simpsons, entire, entire movie together just of Simpsons clips that are about Citizen, that are sort of directly sort of copying Citizen Kane. Oh, like, nice. Let's like almost a full movie to work out from some sense. The Simpsons is absolutely just, is totally tore that film apart in terms of like sort of references. So, You'll recognise so much stuff in it because of that, but you should oh, watch cool. Citizen. You should watch Citizen Kane. I will. I will maybe slap it on tonight. It's chunky. It's chunky. It's like good yeah. two hours. So beware. And it's black and white, and it's old timey. So just be aware of this. Don't mind black and white and old timey. To be honest, as long as the story's good, you know story's what? Story's good. Story's good. Story's very good. And if you watched Mank, didn't you? You watched um, Mank with me on Netflix, didn't you? Yes. So you'll see that's always about the making of Citizen Kane. So you'll get to see a lot of stuff that where it all kind of comes from in that. So ah, cool. Sit and watch Citizen Kane, Barry. And then after that, just watch Paddington 2, just you know, because yeah. Paddington 2 should be watched at all times. Yeah. Yeah. Almost daily watch now in the Laird household. Um I'll touch on the in the sort of more in, in the inverted commas important movie news, which is the Oscars were held on Sunday night. Um normally we do like a deep dive in the Oscars because we've seen everything, but this year it felt like I, I we've missed a lot of stuff because of just the way that like release schedules have, have gone. So not really touch on too much of it. You know, Nomad Land won best picture and best director. And we're gonna be talking about that next week and um, once we've both seen it. So looking forward to that. Anthony Hopkins won best actor, again great for Anthony Hopkins, and Chris McDonald won best actress, again great for her. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't really, I haven't seen enough of the films that were on available, available like on sort of up for awards, really, to sort of cast any sort of proper judgment over what I think was more deserving and things like that. So it's it's hard to sort of talk about it. But I will say I did watch one Oscar winner recently. I watched the Octopus Teacher, the, the Netflix oh, yeah. documentary. That is, actually, I wish we'd done it on the podcast. It was actually very, very good. I'm surprised at how good it was and genuinely very fucking touching. Um, and on Netflix right now, there's a the Oscar-winning short film called Two Different Two Distant Strangers is on. It's like 33 minutes long. It is excellent, and I hope everyone involved in it eventually gets on to go and do bigger, better things. Um, because it's a very, very good film. But yeah, we are talking about the Oscars this year and the fact that we've not really I've seen some of the stuff, but not all of it. Like I've not seen Anthony Hopkins in The Father yet. You know, because it's not been out here yet. We've not seen Nomadland. We've not seen a few things. Of Minari has not been seen over here yet. That you know, I haven't had much of a release over here yet. So. It's it's odd to have so many pictures out that haven't even been sort of partly seen um, by British audiences. Normally you get a wee bit of a layover, but not quite as big. It's not the time you get to May, so it's kind of strange to have all these films that, um, that we've not seen for the Oscars. So looking mm-hmm. forward to Nomadland next week. We'll talk about that and see how it's actually deserving of its um, Best Picture Oscar, which I've heard by all accounts it is. So looking forward to watching it. Um, yeah, so that, that that's my Oscar news, which is people won, some people didn't win. 
good for them. Nice, nice. And yes. um, before that, we'll go on to the movies that we watched this week. So, first one up is one just gauging by you off mic that this will be a very quick discussion. And that film is Chaos Walking, directed by Doug Lyman, who directed Swingers and American Made, and recently done Edge of Tomorrow, the brilliant um, uh, sci-fi movie with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. So we like that one. Um, plot of this film very difficult to describe. It's based on a, a young adult novel. Um, where there's a world where all male people's, all males' thoughts are sort of like are said out loud. There's something called the cloud, I think it's called, or the, uh, mm. sort of makes them make all their, all their thoughts come out loud. Um, girl crash lands on the planet. One of the boys has to basically get her from a crash landing to safety in order to contact her people so that no one um, basically takes over the ship and tries to steal them away. Um, and amongst that, you've also got aliens um, who are also on the planet that people have been at war with for a certain period of time. Um, in the film, you've got Daisy Ridley, um, Tom Holland, Mads Mikkelsen, Nick Jonas, Cynthia Evil, and David O'Reilly, who's playing a, a, a deranged creature. If you can see that. So you blatantly, very quickly said that before, Mike, that you were, you only watched a small part of this. Any particular reason? Um, so how long did you watch it for, and what were your general thoughts in that time? I watched 30 minutes of it. Oh, I won forty. That's that's tough. That's that's harsh. It was it was like you said in the premise. It's like see all the thinking out loud. Yeah. I just found it so fucking jarring. Yeah. I was just like, it it became just noise, and you're just yeah. like, this isn't even an enjoyable watch because all I'm hearing is all this all this chatter, and I'm right. just like, oh my, this is just brain damage for me. So I was like, thirty minutes, and I'm like, nah, I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> it's like. It was more scenes that had a lot of like, people in it. Seemed yeah. to just annoy me. I was yeah. just like, oh, but yeah. So yeah. But what I watched, the way it was filmed and everything was lovely. But just that chatter was just like, what is this garbage? Yeah. Um, oh, give a bit of backstory. This has been a very troubled production. I think this was shot back in like 2019. Uh, um, okay. or 20, 20, maybe 2019 actually and it sort of went through a bit of like production hell like sort of the story had been reworked and redone and went back for reshoots and all that kind of stuff so there was a general feeling that this film was going to be an absolute disaster like an absolute bomb I personally think it wasn't an absolute disaster I think there's some really solid world like world building they've set a world up really well I get that it depends on the world is quite interesting they do talk about the aliens who literally get one scene in and become a completely non-entity which means you think like, there seems to be a bigger story here that mm. they maybe had Either hopes for like making like a three-hour epic film and she was just told me to trim it down to like an hour and a half or an hour and forty, or they were sort of confident originally of getting like sort of a two or three movie like sort of saga. Mm. Because of that, they've left some stuff on the cutting room floor, hoping to come back to it later on. But obviously, based on its sort of its reviews and also its um, sort of major like box office and inverted commas, I don't really see it's going to get anything. You know, in terms of a sequel in that regard. Um, all the actors, like Daisy Ridley was good in it. Tom Holland was good in it as well. I quite like the, the cloud thing. Apparently it's a lot better in the books. It's used a lot better in, the, in the, how the book portrays the book it a lot better. But I get your point. It was quite jarring and seeing it was like almost having a constant voiceover throughout the film. Well, I'll be more talking. So it, it does sort of distract for big chunks of it. And I, I imagine, I would really imagine how people watch this if they were, say, deaf and are watching like mm. subtitles. That'd be such a hard film to like sort of get across the idea of it by subtitles. Anyway, that plugged in my mind. Oh, yeah. At that point, just reading, up, reading the book. Aye. Um, my biggest problem was it did feel like a kind of half story. There was a lot of stuff left off the table. Um, mm. Or they put it on the table, like a lot of stuff on the table to begin with, but they only sort of finished off two out of 
12 strands. And again, I think that's just the fact, I think they were expecting a bigger film or indeed sequels. And because of that, the film kind of falls in a flat. But definitely had a lot of stuff cut out and they've tried to rejig it in post and do a couple of reshoots to mm. tighten that up into an hour and 40. And I think that's where the film suffers. Um, mm. But based on all the talk I'd heard beforehand, I was expecting an absolute disaster. And I didn't think it was a disaster. I think it's misguided, but there's definite potential. Somebody else to re-explore this world for an interesting film. Um, I don't think we're doing it anytime soon, but it's, it's not the worst example of like young adult fiction being um, adapted. Like I think it's better than sort of the last couple of Hunger Game films or the Maze Runner films. I think it's better than all of them, you know. But that can be a low bar. To be fair. Mm. Um, I would give it a very solid six out of ten. I, I didn't, I didn't dislike it. Mm. Are you going to give it even, even a vote based on the fact you only watched half an hour? Uh, for half an hour, I'm giving it. Four out of ten. Fair enough. Like I said, it was just it was all that chatter just became just so annoying. Like you almost couldn't concentrate on what the actual the build up of the story was gonna be because all this fucking chatter was going on. I get it. Especially well, I get the it. I get it. when he was running through the town. Aye. I get it. There's definitely there's a visual style and there's an actor style you're using that if if it doesn't twig with you early on, it will become more just irritable. Mm. Um what I would say, if you do ever go back to try and watch it again, that does settle down as the film goes on. Like, after the first half hour, it sort of, it becomes, because it, most of the film is spent just the two of them together, or maybe three people together, and one of them hasn't got it, you know, the, the girl character hasn't got this power, if you call it that, it settles itself down, so it doesn't quite become quite as intrusive for um, mm-hmm. a lot of the film. So you might have found, if you push through maybe in our five minutes, you might have got to the point where it was sort of a more watchable, sort of just a road movie that people get to try to move across the country. So, yeah, fair enough. Oh. Anyway, 6 out of 10 for me, 4 out of 10 from Barry, take that as what you will. Chaos walking, I, I think, I think it was Barry people were trying to make out to be. On from that, we go to the second watching of this week. It's not a film, it's a series on Netflix, which we have sworn off Netflix series generally, but we decided to re-dabble into this one, just of just interest. Um... So this one is called This Is A Robbery, directed by Colin Barnacle, who's really only done like sort of a bunch of 30 for 30s and produced a lot of stuff. And um, yeah, this is sort of his major sort of directing debut, essentially, we call it. And the plot of this one is basically about a robbery that happens in the 1990s at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston, where thieves break in, tie up the guards and steal about a half, maybe a dozen artworks. Um, yeah. And despite having the biggest sort of recovery prize um, on them, and I think it's up to like something like 10 million now, isn't it? Yeah, it's up to 10 million now. They have never been recovered. And not only have not been recovered, no one really knows anything about where they went. There's sort of 100 different stories of of where all these things went. Um, And this documentary attempts to shine a light on, number one, what happened, who's originally, who think might be the cause of it, and I think also just give a lot of exposure to this to try and like put it back in the public eye to all the try and maybe twig someone's memory, maybe, maybe someone's seen something and they want to try and you know yeah. bring these artworks back where they should be. So which will which will lead me to a point that I'm gonna mention near the end of our discussion. Okay. What my thoughts are. Fair enough. So it's a four episodes, which is quite standard for this um Netflix mini series. I talked a lot on Claire Chaos Walking. I'll start with yourself. What do you think of this one? And, you know, for a wee while, I, I'm a bit like yourself. I've kind of been strongly weighing off of the constant just murder documentaries, but this is a different subject. Hopefully no one gets killed 
straight off the bat in this one. Yeah. Um, so I myself found it quite enjoyable. Yep. Uh, I thought it was nice, just four episodes. I, I, I found some of the episodes were a wee bit long for the hour mark. Like some of them I felt it was just, there was a little bit of filler in a couple of the episodes that I felt like just, the, you were, they were just trying to get that timestamp of an hour. I but outside can, of that, I, think we can, I thought most of the episodes galloped at a decent pace. So I think we could probably say the same we said about all these Netflix documentaries, the four-part documentaries. This could probably be an hour and a half, two-hour movie documentary as opposed to four 55-minute episodes. What I did come away with thinking about was that uh, either last week or the week before you mentioned about the uh, the Cowboy movie with the oh. people in the street having, and how you would prefer to have a documentary about it. Well, for me, I would, for this movie, I would actually prefer a movie about this rather than right. like a, the documentary. I found like, not so much the robbery, the robbery is almost like plain Jane, almost robbery, how to rob a museum by the book almost. Well, yeah, very much so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's all the kind of like um, gangsters after it their kind of stories and how they're all connected and yeah. in and around like, the Boston area, it was like, that's what intrigued me more. Yeah. And it would make a, a, a fascinating movie. Yeah. You know? no, I'm, 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 actually, I'm, I'm totally with you as well. Like it, it felt quite a surprise from Netflix that it's not a murder documentary. I think we've had a fill of murder documentaries um, from Netflix. Um, it is still very much down the style of the murder documentary. You know, they're always sort of like, mm. you know, the way they cut it, the way they put it together, it's, it's sort of in that almost... I would say it's almost like a podcast, the way they put it together. You know, it's almost like in that serial type um, style of, you know, you always try to leave, end on like a big cliffhanger and sort of, it's, it, it's, very, it's, it's not, the style is not, how much the director's not important. It's kind of like the Marvel way of shooting. It's sort of like, we have a style, you just want to fit your story around that style. So in a way, it's not that much different from other documentaries that they do. This was just, it was nicer to have a documentary that wasn't about murder for once. That was kind of my mm. first pleasant surprise about it. Um, I thought, much like I said, the story was quite compelling. And um, that the the the, the robbery itself is, like you said, one hundred and one. How to rob a how to rob a place one hundred and one. Nothing was particularly interesting about that. Um, but then there is a lot of strands that come off of that of who they think might be involved. And despite mm. being quite a complex web, they managed to streamline it enough that I felt I could follow everything. They didn't throw yeah. too many names at you. They sort of narrowed it down to some very key figures. Now, maybe they've oversimplified it. Maybe they've made it too simple. And maybe if you actually could read up on it, it'd be a lot more you know, expansive. But I felt, for the most part, I could follow pretty much everything that was going on. So that was I, I, that was good. So I thought it was really clever. But I feel like it could have easily been a 90-minute film. The dollop would have done this in about an hour and 40-minute podcast. Mm. You know, yeah. as opposed yeah. to four 50-odd-minute episodes. Um but I'll probably, I'm probably going to touch on what you're going to dislike about it and that the lack of real conclusion, mm. I think, will frustrate a lot of people, you know, because... It definitely is frustrating. They make the point then, that like the whole point, they hope this will put this back in the public eye and make people want to, you know, know what happened about it and try and investigate it further and hopefully even give a kick up the arse of, like, the, the Boston, you know, FBI and all they kind of guys to sort of investigate it fully. But I think when you're watching something like this to have no conclusion... You do feel like there's a lot of waste there at that point. You kind of go, I've sat and watched, you know, this for you know, like three and a half hours, three hours, 45 minutes in total. And at the end, all I know is 
person X, person Y, and person Z might have done it. It's more likely to be person X, but we can't mm-hmm. guarantee that, you know. So it did feel like very anticlimactic. I mean, because I guess it's how it's supposed to be, because like people who are involved, people who are like sort of watching these paintings back, probably feel like that as well. Like the detour to Ireland seemed completely pointless. That one hundred percent. You know, one hundred percent. I get why they've got it in there to some point, but I'm going like it's. No one even comes close to admitting anything about that, you know. And even the, the British guy they bring in to talk about, he even talks about it not being right, not being true. So I'm like, mm. the, the experts saying that's not going to, that's not happened. The IRA saying that's not true. So let's just assume that's not true. So we need to leave that behind. So that felt like total filler. You, well, do you think of it? Um, my only kind of takeaway thoughts after finishing it was, and like you said at the start, this is this felt like it was the car. It was an interesting story, but it's also shining a brand new light on the story for a new generation of people who haven't heard about this. And then um, my kind of takeaway when I was watching it with Stacey was if the pictures haven't been destroyed uh-huh. already, they'll 100% be destroyed now. Because no, I disagree. No. Because I reckon the people who have these pictures they don't care because apparently there's, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a sort of fact apparently that something like about like 80 percent of the artworks in most museums are fake the real ones are with like sort of the billionaires and gazillionaires who keep them for themselves mm-hmm. and i so like if elon musk had two of these paintings right for example in one of his mm-hmm. houses no one would know until he dies probably because he's no, no one can admit no one can just come out and say by the elon musk one of those paintings because he's like he's too rich and powerful people just have them killed you know mm-hmm. So I reckon, I reckon they won't be. I reckon if they haven't been destroyed by now, I reckon I don't think this will change it. I reckon they might have been destroyed at the time out of panic, possibly. Yeah, you know? yeah. I reckon if these things are still framed in somewhere. I think they're still. I think they're still around. But I don't think I don't think we found unless one of those things where like a granddaughter finds it under the granddad's bed and goes, "Oh, by the way, do you know granddad is this fucking painting?" And he gives it away. And they give yeah. it back. I don't think it'll be given up willingly. But I don't no. think it's destroyed. Okay, cool. I like your optimism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was it was it was a nice distraction the four episodes. But like I said, the last conclusion annoyed me. But what I I was taking a long long for a ride while watching it. Like I wasn't bored at any point during it. I was sort of mostly enjoying what was what was shown. It felt and it was entertaining enough. So mm. the, the Netflix documentary they do. They have got a large audience and they can shine a lot of light on stuff like this. So this felt like a good one compared to, like I said, maybe just because I was so used to this abundance of fucking murder documentaries that they finally have one that was about, yeah, it's a horrible crime, but there's really no real victim of it, I suppose, apart from like sort of the people of Boston don't get these pictures. So it is, there's yeah. a crime committed, obviously, but even the guys who are sort of taking hostage, they were only taking hostage for like the night and sort of like them purely trauma, but it's like sort of, it doesn't feel like it's quite the same scale as someone like getting murdered by their husband, you know? It did feel mm. like, not quite victimless, but definitely, it, you feel you could watch it and still enjoy a story on it without feeling guilty for going, you know, for, for, for deriving pleasure from a story about someone getting killed, you know? That's why I would say it was different. Totally did, totally. Yeah, 100% agree. Out of 10, what are you giving it? I'm giving it a solid 7 out of 10. Only because of the ending, because there's no, because there is no conclusion the now. Yeah, that's you know. Yeah, I the reason why I give I give seven out of ten as well. Number one, no conclusion. So that's like annoyed me, but I kind of knew this story already because um, wow. I've, I've read stuff about it, I've read things about it, and also I was in Boston like two years ago, and I 
it was sort of still very much part of the sort of tourism trail. This this story. Um, but even at that, I think unless you tell, unless you have something that's completely unknown and blows you out of the water, the best you can I can hope for is a very solid seven out of ten. I, I can't imagine getting a ten out of ten for a documentary series unless it's something completely insane that no one ever knew about. And I feel that right now. They're trawling, they're trawling through stuff to try and find something now, as opposed to you know having a great story. And so I think seven out of ten is probably like the best. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's like getting a horror movie seven out of ten for a horror film. You go, that's fucking great. That's that's a genuinely great, enjoyable horror film. You know, because that's sort of like you, to get ten out of ten for a horror film would be really difficult from either of us. I think. Cool. So our final film of this week is an our Netflix movie. It is called Stowaway, directed by Joe Pena. Um, who directed a film a few years ago called Arctic. I don't know if you saw that one when we Mads Mikkelsen in the Arctic and he's sort of plane crash and he's trying to rescue himself and a girl and get him across the Arctic tundra. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we both saw it, we both liked it. So he's done that one as well. Um, and this is kind of in the same vein. The difference to this one is it's, it's a spaceship on its way to Mars with a crew of three people. However, while they're going about their daily business on the spaceship and getting ready for going to Mar- and, and sort of flying to Mars, they find a stowaway on the plane, on the on the ship, who is a, a designer who sort of something happened to him. He had a, a, an attack and he fell asleep in the, the air vent and basically got in the rocket when it took off, which does seem highly implausible. Uh, mm. <laughs> you know, but anyway, that's the premise of the film. Once they find about him, obviously all manner of things ensue because the air regulator breaks down, which means they've only got enough oxygen for three of them, meaning they essentially have to kill him. Um, and so begins the breakdown of what do they do? Do they how do they how can they fix the problem, or do they indeed just kill this guy in order to sort of continue their mission to Mars? And that's where the, the story comes from. Very much a, a, a thriller. It's not really much of a sci-fi film. It's very much a pop kind of thriller in regards to that. It's very much a you know, human human experience. Uh, in the film, mm-hmm. we have Barry's favourite Anna Kendrick playing as playing a, a, a I think she's a she's a doctor, isn't she? She's she's like the, yeah, she's a doctor this time. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Astronaut. You have Daniel Day Kim, who plays a botanist doctor. You have Shamir Anderson, who plays the stowaway. And Tony Collette plays the captain of the spaceship. Um, I'll start on this one. It's a very solid cast. They're all very, very good. They all completely believable in their roles. You know, I did balk a little bit at Anna Kendrick being an astronaut. I thought she'd be way too small. And I think they even do make a joke of that at one point, that she's too small to be an astronaut. So fair enough, yeah. Anna Kendrick's an astronaut. Um, they all perform well, very solid cast, but the script is wafer thin. There is like no real sort of arc for any character. No one really ends in a different place to where they started from. And I feel like you're going to do a film about the sort of human experience and how, you know, we deal with each other. You've got to have someone coming to some sort of resolution or even sort of some greater knowledge. I feel like not one character on this came to any different, they're not, no one's in a different position now at the start to where they were at the end of the film. So I felt like there was a real missed chance there. Um, mm. It does follow pretty much every well-trodden path of a space movie. You know, the air, regular, the air thing breaks down, the CO2 is going to, you know, kill them. Then they have to go into space to sort of fix that. Oh, I guess what will happen when they're in space. Not going to spoil what happens, but you probably can guess whether they're in space, what's going to happen. You know, it feels like there's just there's not enough uniqueness. I mean, we talked about last week about a film that's sort of done doesn't doesn't break any ground, but it's still enjoyable. This didn't break any ground, but it just felt just so very blah. You know, it's it's slow burned for a good hour and a half. Then it's sort yeah. of fucking puts on its puts on its running shoes and sprints to the end and then <laughs> finishes 
And I'm kind of going, that felt like a long fucking run, a long fucking walk to get to that run, you know? Um, yeah. So I think the seeds, are, the seeds are a good idea there, and it's certainly this idea of survival, what we'll do to survive, and, you know, the adaptability of humanity and how we can always, you know, kind of count on our wits and things like that to sort of put things right is all sort of there. But it ends up being just so generic that it becomes just really kind of dull, I think. And that's probably just felt good. I just, when I watched it, I'm going, that was it, two hours, and that was all I got from it. I, felt, I just felt not a waste of time, but just a sort of like, eh, that felt very, this blah. What about you? What do you like yeah. of it? Kind of the same vein. Uh, I'm always used to sci fi films having a more of a, a slow burning build up, but about like yourself, this was the payoff was not worth the slow build up. Um, a few kind of moments when you're sitting there, like, did nobody even notice this guy being in the fucking, like, in the that's ship? It. That's what I thought. The premise of, a, of like, if it was a, a flight or a truck or something, you can almost go, that's fine. But the idea was someone, like, I think they say he has, like, some sort of, like, um, like is it, is it of a panic attack or something, and that's why he's, like, sort of loses consciousness in the air then, and that's why, but the idea that he would be, like, that he would get into space just felt so fucking outrageously bad. And, like, because I think, I thought for the most of the film was, he's going to have an ulterior motive. Mm. Like he's part of some sort of like sort of religious sect who are sort of against humanity going to Mars and setting up on yeah. something like that, you know, some kind of like like re- religious or eco terrorist in some way. He's not. He literally is a guy who fell asleep in the event, and they find him. And the, the story comes from like what they do with four people around three people in terms of like sort of just survival. So mm. it, it didn't feel like a justified reason to have him there. I think, and I think that's what you're kind of saying as well. The the bits that annoyed me was just your kind of generic space things where it was like they always had their visors like open even yeah. even near the end of the movie uh, when Anna was outside she didn't and she was like she was literally staring at the sun but she still just had the clear visor on she didn't yeah. put like the car the uh, the sunglass version right. down and you're like. You're literally staring at the sun. Yeah, but, but we're paying for Anna's face. That Anna, that Anna knows that's, that's a moneymaker. You can't put that behind yeah. some sort of shield. You know, that, that, that'd be wrong. And I think you would agree, Barry, that would be wrong, you know? Yeah. I, know, yeah. I, know. <laughs> I, I did like that there was a few moments in it when, you know, there was a moment of despair when uh, Anna walked back in and um, Daniel and Tony were sitting there and then they were sitting, and you could only see the first freight of like algae that that had died. Yeah. And then they're talking, and then they push back the next one, and then you see the other ones went the same way, and yeah. then that's when you know all hope has been lost. <laughs> I, there, was, there, was, there was nice wee touches in the film, and there was nice wee moments in the film, but they felt there's so much like sort of blandness in between them that it mm. felt so dull. You know, the, I, 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 I thought it was really, the thing I really liked at the very start was when they're, they're all sitting around having coffee. Because he's just he he's the Daniel Day um, Kim is feeling a bit sick. Mm. He's from Harvard, and she gives him these like his medicine in a Yale mug, and you can see there's a nice bit of banter. So it felt like that was a, a like a a crew bonding at that point. It felt it, it felt nice, but then they never really come back to anything like that later on. It just feels like they're all very separate, and yeah, I I just I get what the guy was trying to do, um, Joe Pena, and I, and I understand what you what you what you sort of approach the film was. And this will be done again, hopefully done in a more interesting way. Just it just felt very, very dull and just 
like I said, I watched this, I think, yesterday. Yeah, like 24 hours ago. And it's yeah. kind of been completely forgettable. Like, I, I'm struggling to remember that much from it. And that's a problem. You know, it becomes just sort of one of those films just slipped into the background. Yeah, this is definitely one of those movies that I'm glad has found its way onto Netflix because this would not be, like... I don't think this would do well at the box office, you know? No, it wouldn't. I, mean, like... I, saw, I saw a film just before, I think, not before lockdown, maybe last year, it was called Underwater, and it had... Um, it was about basically like a undersea sort of like platform that sort of gets attacked, and it's and they're trying to like sort of basically survive that as well. And in the cinema, it was okay, but the, this felt kind of a similar version of that. And that, that film did not do that great as well. So it was a very quiet cinema when I saw it. And I feel this would be very much the same one of those films that might play in the cinema for about a week, you know, mm. maybe a show in the morning, a show at night, and then would walk away and never be heard from again on Netflix. People will probably throw this on. They'll see the, the, the name Anna Kendrick, you know, Tony Collette. It'll get an audience just based on that. So maybe people will watch this. But how many folk, because unlike a lot of people, I will sit and watch it. I, I'll sit and watch a film to the end. Even, even if I find it, I'm like, I'm, I'm pissed off at it. I want, I have a desire to finish the film regardless. Mm. A lot of folk might be like you with Chaos Walking. So maybe get half an hour and I'm go, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not into this. And I'll just I'll turn it off. Which doesn't matter because that Netflix counts as a viewing. So they don't really care, but yeah, that that was that was my thing. People just wouldn't want to just wouldn't would just give up on this film because it, it is a film that needs it needs more exciting events in it because it just and there's like enough interesting human stuff in it to make you want to keep watching it, you know. So I just I'm, I'm I didn't hate the film. That's saying I'm trying you know I'm trying not to be too negative. Like I didn't hate it, and but I just I nothing it essentially. I'm just like nah, that's it was what it was, and that's it. I'm not. It just falls in that sort of very grey category of a film that I'll probably I'll never probably think of again. I'll probably I'll definitely go back and watch it again. And if you were asking me to recommend a film to you, I would go through about a hundred films before even mention Story. Mm. Yeah, yeah. There's much better films in this kind of genre that do it a lot better. Yeah. Building suspense and everything else, you know. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Um out of ten, what are you giving it? I'm gonna give it once again a seven out of ten. Wow, yeah. yeah, I'm giving it uh, six. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, like the, the things in it look good. It, it looks well shot. It looks pretty, and everything's everybody's great in it. Just it needs more story, and it needs needs it needs more humanity in the story. That's what it needs. Mm. Um, yeah, that's us for this week. Next week, which is a very interesting mix, we have got on Netflix the the animated film The Mitchells versus the Machines from Lord and Miller, which um, came out on Netflix on Friday. Spoiler, I've watched it and I fucking loved it. So we'll talk about that at, at length, I think, next week. So we'll look forward to that one. Um, we've got Save Yourself, which is on Sky Plus, which is a sort of end of the world, you know, hipsters trying to survive the end of the world, which looks, um, which looks a lot of fun. And also on Disney Plus, we have the Oscar-winning director, Oscar-winning, I think, actress, and I think possibly writer. No, maybe not writer. But definitely Oscar-winning director um, and Oscar-winning film, uh, Nomadland. Which is available on Disney Plus. So we'll talk about the, the uh, that as well. Tell me what you find this, Barry. All the usual social media haunts: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Three Beers in a Movie. Right. Great. That's us for this week. I've been Richard. You've been Barry. You've been listening to Three Beers in a Movie.